Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum and I am your host of the Pen and a Napkin Podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. I am really, really excited for our, our guest here, episode number 34, Mike Neighbors, the head coach at the University of Arkansas for the women's basketball program there. Uh, before I forget, Coach, my dad wanted me to mention to you that he has his master's degree from the University of Arkansas, class of 75, so I've always felt like I've had a little razorback blood in me uh, for, for a long, long time. So when I, when I told him I was, I was talking to you, he said, well, you make sure you let him know that I was in Fayetteville. So that, That's good to know. I think we had two graduates that year in 75, so he was one of the two people that got their master's. Halfway kidding, it's, uh, uh, it's always good to find a Razorback anywhere you go, and they're, they're certainly all over the country. We're, we're not many, but we are loud, so... Um, that's that's a good thing though. Tell tell him uh, tell him go hogs for me. Yeah, I I you know I, I hope he I, I'm glad that you said that because sometimes my dad needs his ego deflated a little bit. So there you go. I, I do appreciate that. So you bet. Uh, coach, I know you're on a little bit of a time crunch, so we're gonna jump right into some stuff here. Um, you are a tough guy to prepare for with a podcast uh, okay. because well, in this sense, uh, you have said you're kind of a contrarian and you like looking at things a little differently and um and and you want to kind of challenge the status quo a little bit um with my podcast i like to talk about stuff that people haven't heard about before i mean you're you're really well known for your functionally fast and that type of and not like we're not going to talk about it uh but uh i wanted to try and find stuff that I haven't heard you talk a lot about or very little about at the very least, because you're so open and so willing with your, with your knowledge and your connections and everything. Uh, so I put a lot of homework into this here and I hope I'm able to hit on some stuff to have folks hear different things about you. Uh, but also, uh, ask you some stuff that maybe hopefully you haven't been asked very often in this type of format. So that's my goal today. So, so let me know how I did at the end of all this. So. I, I sure will. You got me a, a little bit on pins and needles here, a little nervous. So I, I hope I can uh, hope I can deliver for uh, for you, your dad, and, and everybody that tunes in and listens to the podcast. So awesome. let's get going. All right. Um, the newsletter. You know, I first got to know about you from the newsletter. Um, how did how did that all start? How did that all grow into what yeah. it what it became? You know. Came in a couple of stages. Uh, obviously, back to the start, I was the high school coach in Bentonville, Arkansas. It was 1994. Uh, it was in my second year. Going, It was in the summer of my – just finished my first year. And uh, Bentonville is the home of Walmart headquarters. A lot of people yep. familiar with Walmart. Well, the headquarters for the um, for Walmart are there. The Waltons live there. The Waltons were in our school district. And they had the foresight to buy a computer and put on the desk of every teacher at the school okay. at the end of my first year. Well, we all had it, and none of us knew how to work them. <laughs> uh, we didn't know what to do with them. They were really nice, but uh, other than playing you know, spades and cards and uh, free sale, we weren't getting a lot of use out of them. So they scheduled a bunch of Saturday afternoon classes for us. Okay. And you can you can imagine how a Saturday afternoon class in the middle of the summer went over with a bunch of teachers. Oh yeah, the teachers uh, are the worst okay. listeners in the world. No question, hardest yep. audience ever. So, yep. but they they supplemented by saying for every class you take, we're going to give you a hundred dollars. Okay. So I was I was looking for three hundred extra dollars that summer for sure, 
So I signed up for all three classes. The first class was Pegasus email, how to use your Pegasus email. So, you know, for three hours, one Saturday afternoon, uh, we were instructed by one of the best instructors in the world that Walmart had flown in to teach us how to best utilize our email system. So I became a, a probably, you know, a leading world expert on Pegasus email in one afternoon. And that next day I realized there was nobody for me to email other than the <laughs> voice coach who was sitting next to me because uh, nobody else had it yet. So sure, yeah. we, we had this great piece of tool, but we didn't really know how to use it. So um, he had an email address, I had an email address, and I learned how to do an attachment. So I drew up a, a play and I, I, I scanned it through our scanner and I attached it and sent it to him. And he sent me one back. So I said, hey, we need to start doing this more often. Let's, I'm going to write out this and you share this. So it started with the two of us, our, me and the boys coach. Gotcha. Um, so the school year goes on, um, starts back up in the, in the fall. And Walmart has also done this same thing for two local districts, mm-hmm. Rogers and Fayetteville and Springdale, three other districts. So now I've gone from having two email addresses to having 12 email addresses. And we got those other 11 guys, 10 other guys in and coaches. And so the newsletter became a weekly, just us sitting around talking about ball, sharing with each other, went from two to 12 in the first year. Mm -hmm. Well, as computers began to spread and word began to spread what we were doing, it went from 12 to 24 to 48 to 96 to every multiple that you can imagine all the way up to where we are now. And it's, um, you know, along the way, I got into college coaching. Uh So that opened up another realm of people to share with and email addresses. And, you know, one person, it was, it became the ultimate pyramid scheme, except none of us were making money on it. (laughs) Uh, It was just, just sharing and, 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 uh, getting good ideas and sharing ideas together. So when I got to Xavier University with Kevin McGuff in 2009, he got really, he was really, really into it. And he said, I want this thing to become really well known. Uh, I want you to spend two hours a week on it. Uh, I want you to really expand this thing. Mm-hmm. And that's where it really took off. That was where we went nationwide, worldwide. Uh, we went into, you know, all 50 states and at that point in time, about 70 countries. Um, and it just continues to grow. Uh, hit a little snag. Uh, I did inadvertently share something that somebody had told me was theirs. It was actually a copyrighted material. Uh-huh. So it got through a lawsuit. I had to go through a lawsuit, which I did fight. Uh, and kind of won, I guess, to say. Uh, but it, we, we were without it for about 18 months. Uh-huh. And now we've got it going again back uh, via our school website. So I don't have to worry about lawsuits anymore. And we are about to crack 80,000 current email addresses. These are ones that people are currently getting and opening. Uh, Last month, we opened 76,000 of our emails were opened out of the 83 or 84,000 email addresses that we have. So that goes from beginning to end and every step in between and lots of great people sharing and, and lots of formats. You know, we've branched out into YouTube and we do a lot of stuff on YouTube now as well, Mm -hmm. but the, the newsletter is going to stay free. It's going to stay an email. It's never going to become a blog. We're going to keep it. We're going to keep it old school, like we had back in '94 uh, at Bentonville High School. Awesome. Well, 
I my administrators were starting to charge me by the ream when I was printing stuff off from it, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, that type of thing. But uh, it, it, it's been truly a, a blessing in my career. I, I, I learned so much from it. Uh, just just so many good ideas and, and such a simple way to follow and, and share stuff. And and I know and, I, and I'm sure you've heard this, but I know it's, it's had a tremendous effect on my basketball knowledge in my career. And and I just want to thank you for that, you know, uh, sure. for, for, for everything there. So you bet. It's, uh, like I said, it's a lot of other great people sharing their idea. I just kind of organize it and disseminate it. It's it's uh, it's led to some really cool stories. I, I just give you one more and then we can move on. But uh, I was in Moscow, Russia, watching the 16 and under national uh, world championships. And I had on an Arkansas shirt walking through the middle of Red Square and a Russian gentleman approaches me from behind and wants to have his picture maybe because he said, man from Arkansas, send me a newsletter, basketball. I want to send him a picture. And I'm like, you know, I I don't do a very good Russian imitation, but um, he said, I said, yeah. I said, so you get a basketball newsletter? He goes, yes, from coach at Arkansas, you know, Arkansas. I'm like going, yeah, that's me. And he goes, he goes, no, no, no. I mean, like, he was so confused. I was. I said, no, I'm the guy that sends you that newsletter. And he literally gave me the sweatshirt off his back. He swapped. I, I've got his uh, Russian national team sweatshirt. He's got my Arkansas shirt. So all the way in Moscow, Russia, you, you run into people who – uh, you've shared ideas with, and, and those are the types of things that make that thing really, really cool. That, that is, that is really cool. You know, the, the first time I saw, uh, on my, you know, on my feed here, an, an international listener, like there was a guy in South Korea or so yeah. I was like, holy cow, this is crazy. You oh, know? Yeah. But, yeah, it's, but, it's uh, uh, but that's, the game is universal for sure. And, uh, if we can, if the newsletter helps one person in some shape, form or fashion, then it's all worth it. Yeah. So, um, I want to talk about your career a little bit. Um, now, and correct me if I'm wrong with this, Coach. Coach, you were with Coach McGuff at Xavier. He got offered yep. the job at Washington and took it, I believe. And again, this is the part where correct me if I'm wrong. You wanted you wanted to have the Xavier job, but they chose to give it to somebody else. Correct? Uh, yeah, that's yeah. an understatement. I, I wanted that job very badly. Yeah. yeah. So you follow Coach McGuff out to Washington, and kind of the same thing happens where he gets the Ohio State position. And then this time, of course, you move in and, and you make the 18-inch slide over. Uh, my, my question is, what? how did you examine the two experiences? What what adjustments, perhaps, or what things did you think through to the, and changes to your philosophies or how you handled things to make sure that when this happened the second time, I wasn't going to have the, the same thing happen the first time? Yeah, um, you know, I... The first one hit me really hard. I, I really felt like I was the person for the job. I'd been there. I'd been Kevin's top assistant. I'd recruited all the players. And then when it didn't happen, boy, I was really frustrated, angry, bitter, just about jaded, whatever negative emotion you want to come up with. Uh-huh. You know, I had it. I, I was I was about fed up. I, I considered getting completely out of uh, – coaching and selling drugs and <laughs> pharmaceuticals sorry pharmaceutical yeah. drugs uh legal legal okay all right all right uh, yeah, i'm not sure if we need to edit that or not but anyway um the point being that it was it really jaded me i thought i had done you know everything up until that point that i really needed to yep um and then, then after i got a little distance from it a couple of weeks and kevin was great he he understood where i was at 
But, you know, it was just more, it had more to do with the circumstance than anything that I had done to not get the job. They, they were very much wanting to hire an alumna, and they did. So, you know, it kind of sunk into me later on that not every job is, is right for you. So, sure. um, you know, the, the enticement to go with Kevin was I knew who I was working with. It was a different part of the country. And, you know, I will tell you that during that second period, the, the best thing that ever happened was an event called Villa 7 that Nike put on in conjunction um, with the WBCA and the Coaches Association. And they brought in assistant coaches who had been thinking they wanted to be a head coach. And it was through Villa 7 that I made some contacts with administrators. Uh-huh. So if you're to answer your question, the one thing that I did drastically different was I really started to pay attention to people in administrations not other coaches. I'd spent all my time networking with people that were already in my network. Mm-hmm. I had not done a good job of networking up and meeting associate ADs and ADs. Mm-hmm. Uh, people, you know, the associate ADs were the really important ones because those were the people that were your future ADs that were going to be hiring you. Yep. So I, I took a, made a really concerted effort, very intentional effort that every time we were on a road trip, I would ask the opposing, um, visitors, you know, hey, do y'all have an administrator here? And I'd introduce myself and tell them who I was. And I got, I, I built my network of administrators. And I think too many times that's a, skip, a, a step. And it's not even fair to say that we skip. Mm-hmm. We just don't even know it's there. Yeah. We, we don't realize that's there until you run into it as a brick wall. So, and I'd really encourage people who are trying to move up or move forever uh, you know, don't don't get to know coaches. Get to know those administrators, the people who are going to be doing the hiring. You never know uh, who those people will be. And uh, as you're on the way up, it's it's easy to to overlook somebody that's in your marketing department or in your promotional department. Uh, those guys are going to be ads. Those people are going to be ads in the future, and you need to know those folks. So that would be my answer to you. I, I did a better job of getting to know them, and then. Quite honestly, a better situation. I, you know, made itself available. The players were in support of me. The administration was in support. It was a, a much easier slide from that, that eighteen inches that you talk about from assistant coach to head coach. So then you make you make the transition, and then I, one of the more influential articles of that you, that you've written that that I read that that hit home to me was the the, the four hundred eighteen mistakes. <laughs> Yep. And and I actually did one of my Foundation Fridays kind of on this and, and you know, help break down some stuff. And and one of the more poignant things I thought that you had in there, and I'm paraphrasing here, is basically you had to learn if it doesn't involve winning, then I don't do it, is essentially yep. what you were talking about. Okay. You know, kind of talk about your, your, your 418 mistake article and, yep. and, that, and that process of figuring out how to be a head coach. So this, this goes back to Villa 7. Uh, I had you know attended Villa 7 as an assistant coach for two years. Mm-hmm. And I was just in the process of getting named the head coach as I was attending my second Villa 7. So they approached me and said, hey, we really want you to come back next year and talk to this group because you know so many of them about your first year experience. Mm-hmm. So I knew that I was going to be coming back to Bill 7. I wanted to do something that would be impactful and would be lasting. So what I, what I figured I'd do is just not write about what went well, but write about where I screwed up. Mm-hmm. So I kept a little notebook uh, along the way, and every time I felt like I, I made a poor decision or a, an, uninformed, an uninformed decision or a mistake, I, I jotted it down in this book. 
Uh, and then at the end of that first year, I went back and kind of cataloged them into some categories. And uh, But 418 was that number. That's, that averages out to a little over one and a half a day. Uh, some of them big, some of them little. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that, you know, of the 418, you mentioned one of those categories was you, you can't do everything. You know, you've got to be very good at the things you do a lot. So let's be very specific in those things. Let's know what those things are uh, and stick to them. And if they don't involve, you know, eliminating myself from the decision, for instance, what travel sweats we're going to wear on the way to our next road game. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's not going to affect our winning, but it's a decision that I have to make. If they're asking me to make, now my decision ability, that's an exhaustible that's an exhaustible energy. Yeah. You can run out of abilities to make decisions. It's why the President of the United States has his clothes laid out for him. It's why they bring him lunch. It's not because they're it's because they don't want him to have to make decisions or on, on what those things are. Um, they want those decisions they want you the freshest to make the best decisions. So uh, I started eliminating things. If it if it didn't to me seemed like it was going to affect whether or not we ended up winning and it was winning games, winning, it, not not just winning games, but having a winning type atmosphere or winning type system. Um, I, I wasn't going to bother with it. I wasn't going to worry too much about it. And I certainly wasn't going to waste valuable decision making energy uh, on things that didn't affect winning. So that's how that little bucket uh, uh, came about. And uh, lots of my mistakes fell in that. Mm-hmm. I got too, I would get too worked up about. You know, our, I thought our pregame meal was maybe undercooked. Well, you know, does that really going to affect this win or not? I, I should probably not have a big reaction to this and just eat the chicken that somebody gave me for free. You know, <laughs> let's, let's let's back off and then look at this through a different lens. And uh, that's that's what I've tried to learn to do. And, and again, I'm not telling you I don't still make those mistakes today, seven sure. years later. But uh, hopefully I'm, I've got that number of 418 cut down to uh, maybe a little bit more manageable number now on a, on a yearly basis. So you uh, you you, tr- you transition, you, you have the great runs at, at Washington, um, and then you make another transition back home to Arkansas. Uh, and and, I, and I, I just find your career fascinating because of just your, your starts and stops along the way. Um, now you're going into a different situation where at Washington, you guys were on the upward trajectory um, and, and you just kind of took the baton and, and pushed a little bit further than what you guys had already established. Now you come back home and you come to Arkansas and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rebuild, you know, uh, there's, there's some things that need to be done. Um, taking that kind of same thought, that same idea, now that you've been a head coach for four or five years at Washington and you come down to, 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 to Arkansas, uh, what changed about that transition and what different things did you need to emphasize to, to get things going to where you, you really had it going here until of course everything kind of shut down. Uh, other than of course, other than, um, you know, recruiting good players, you know, I mean, that's yeah, the most obvious sure. thing, but, but any other things that, that, okay, this is, th- yeah. these are the things I need to address right away here. Well, you know, at Washington, yeah, we had already been, we'd been two years into it and, and Kevin had started it and I've been with him every step of the way. So I knew right where we were at. I knew the players, they knew me. We just, all we had to do was make the adjustment from being assistant coach to head coach, which didn't take very long. Um, 
and and things went great there. We caught lightning in a bottle, got a great draw in 2016 tournament, and ride that all the way to the final four, and uh, you know the Sweet 16 the next year as well. Uh, so everything was was going great out there. It was it was. You know, we were really six years into that bill, two years as the assistant, four mm-hmm. years as the head coach. Yep. And then the dream job, you know, the dream job presents itself. The one that I've been thinking about since I was 10 years old, um, you know, coming from the state, wanting to be a Razorback player and not being good enough to do that. Uh, then turning my sides to becoming a Razorback coach. So uh, the tough decision to leave a lot of really good people, a lot of people who believed in me to be a head coach first. And a lot of recruits who believed to come to Washington and keep going what we had started there. I had to say bye to those guys. Uh, but, you know, I think everybody understood in the long run. I, I wasn't out job hunting. I wasn't looking at every yeah. job that came available. It was that one. So you make the transition. You get here. You know what's going on. You know, you, you move into jobs for one of two reasons. Either the, the person ahead of you done such a good job that they've moved on or the person before you had done such a bad job that they were let go. Mm-hmm. So that was the situation here. The The program had just come off of a last-place finish uh, in the SEC. They, attendance had plummeted uh, to almost you know about two or 300 people a game. Uh, transfers had been rampant. Mm-hmm. There, were, there were six players in the locker room on our first meeting, and one of those people was a senior, and she was exhausted her eligibility and wasn't sure she was coming back. So um, – I came in a much more confident in myself and what we were doing being right. Uh, probably had a little bit of credibility bit up, built up because the kids had seen us in the Final Four. They knew who Kelsey Plum was. They knew Chantel Osor was. They had watched us play. So mm-hmm. I might have had the benefit of a little bit of uh, credibility to start with. Mm-hmm. But that goes out the door. That goes out the door the second that you become their coach. you got to prove to them. So we were really lucky. Uh, that the kids that stayed were were committed. The administration was very committed at getting the program out of last place. They were very patient. Uh, they knew it was going to take some time. They didn't put any pressures on us to, you know, turn this thing around in three years. We've done it, but they didn't pressure us to do it. That yeah. was all. That was all the old pressure we put on ourselves. But um, I think the fact that I was confident in the the, the blueprint. I knew what it looked like. I knew what it smelled like and felt like. So um, I was confident. I also had a great staff that was already accustomed to the way that I like to do things and the way we were going to build our systems around here and the way we're going to operate. So (laughs) you get all those things rolled into one, and then you really catch lightning in a bottle with transfers, and you're able to bring in a, a player like Chelsea Dungy from the area, Mm-hmm. Uh, set out with you your first year and then uh, learn the system and come in and make a huge impact uh, like she did for us. That attracts, as you mentioned, great players. And, and now things start to roll to where, you know, we finished in the top. We finished tied for third in the SEC this year. And um, I think we're on our way to uh, making some noise in the NCAA tournament in just, in just the third year. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I just I just think, like I said, you, you have so many different – stops and starts and different circumstances. And I think there's so much to learn from it uh, that, that folks can can listen to your story and identify with that as to the, the ups and downs, like you said, with the not, not getting the Xavier position, but then it, you know, sometimes it leads to something better, you know, and, and, and that type of thing. And, and I know a lot of the people that listen to your thing are readers. So I, I would point to a couple of books in this that'll help people down this path. If, 
if you read uh, Ray Dalio's Ray Dalio's book Principles, uh, it's 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 pretty dense. It's very thick in some of the parts about uh, the the language is very dense, and you have to get through some parts. But what what that book will show you is that, and this uses businesses, uses politicians, coaches, astronauts, uh, other people who who rise to the top of their fields. They all pretty much had their principles in line from a very early stage, and I was lucky that I decided that Arkansas was going to be the job. And along those stops and starts, so when you don't get Xavier, okay, well, then what do I do now to get the Arkansas? Well, let's go with Kevin. It's not go sell pharmaceuticals, uh, you know, with your buddy in Pennsylvania. Legal it's drugs. Say, Legal it, drugs. Say, let's emphasize yeah. that again. Legal drugs. Just say no to drugs. Say no to drugs. <laughs> uh, stay in coaching. Put your head down. You know, get over yourself. You know, my ego was pretty bruised. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you don't, when you, because everybody in the country is like, oh, neighbor's going to get that job. Neighbor's going to get that savior job. And you don't. It's a bruising. That's a bruise. And it's hard to come back from. But, you know, we ask our kids to come back from adversity. And right. uh, so they're, you know, if I'm going to ask them to do it, let's see if we can too. So, you know, those stops were some of the best times of my life. They, they really made me recenter and reset and uh, realize that Arkansas was the dream. And if you really wanted your dream, what are you going to do to, what are you going to do to make that happen? So, you know, I think, you know, like I, I told somebody the other day, you know, it's just, I've been, I've gotten paid to be a coach for 27 years. That's my 27th year being a paid coach. But I, I started out coaching as a nine year old in my neighborhood, organizing the, the neighborhood kids and keeping them in the good graces with their parents, grade wise and socially wise. So we could play games. Yeah. So, you know, this was the, you know, it was a 35 or a 36 year plan that all came together and in one year. But it, there's a lot, lot more to the movie than that. The last scene. So yeah. um, it's there's there's a lot. There's going to be stops and starts for people, and you might not recognize sometimes that those walls end up being doors uh, if you'll just stick with it. Yep. Why is Leo McGarry the best assistant coach ever? <laughs> You're, you're making a West Wing reference. I love it. You did your homework. Oh, um, uh, you owe me about three months of my life because once I got started, I couldn't stop. So yeah, it's unbelievable. It? It's so good. Yeah. Um, you know, Marty's making a reference here to, to a character in the West Wing played by John Spencer. His character's Leo McGarry, and he is the chief of staff to President Bartlett uh, through the majority of the series. I'm not going to spoiler five? alert for anybody. That yeah. Okay. Uh, All right. I'll shut up. But, that doesn't watch, but yeah. um, nonetheless, I, I just think he was, you know, he was the, the guy that helped the guy. And for, you know, 14 years of my college career, that was that was who I wanted to be. I, I, I had no desire to be the guy. I wanted to be the guy that helped the guy. I wanted to be in the back. I wanted to be uh, organized, and I wanted to be keeping things out of the, the Oval Office. I wanted to head things off. Uh, I wanted the, the rest of the staff to – use me as a, as a sounding board before they went to the head coach. So I wanted to mentor young coaches on their way up. But, uh, you know, the, for 14 years I had no desire to really be a head coach. So <clears throat> that's why I really uh, gravitated toward the character of Leo McGarry in West Wing. And I, I think, obviously, Aaron Sorkin, the writer, uh, did a masterful job of creating the character and then John Spencer, of course, uh, acting it out and, and bringing it to life. But uh, I just think he had, had so much wisdom. Um, and, uh, you know, he didn't have all the pressures of the presidency. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, he lived it and he worked at it. And 
I just always felt like Leo was the the glue to that that West Wing and the the driving force behind those uh, those great great episodes of uh, the Walk and Talks and the, just the moments the way he went about talking to me to me he was a combination of Mr. Miyagi and you know whatever John Wood. Yeah. He was able to teach through life lessons and tell great stories, and uh, I will uh, I'll forever be a, a John Spencer West Wing Aaron Sorkin fan for sure. And I, you made the reference there that he didn't have the pressures on him like President Bartlett yep. did, but he took his job as if he did. And he and, yep. and 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 I think when you have a great assistant that feels losses as badly as you do for example or you know uh goes through those ups and downs and 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 you feel like you're they're right there with you then you know you've got a keeper for an assistant coach don't you think yeah no question you'll you'll remember the scene uh, president bartlett's in the old office getting ready to go give the state of the union address and you know they have to you always have to designate that the, the series spinoff designated survivor mm-hmm. uh, actually spun off from this scene they had to designate somebody from the house or the the congress to stay back to become the president in case something happened at the state of the union so you know he's he's sitting there talking to the designated survivor and he gives the speech he said do you have a best friend he said yeah he says is he smarter than you and he says yeah he says would he you know would he give up his life for you and he said i think so and he said that's your chief of staff Mm -hmm. you know so I, i think that's what you look for in your assistant coaches People that are smarter than you, people are, that are better than you at things, uh, and people that would, uh, you know, that take losses, as you mentioned, for us coaches, take losses is hard, and uh, we'll certainly have our back and, and do what it makes the head coach to shine, and and I, I enjoyed doing that for Coach McGuff for, four, you know, for the number of years we were together, and I, I think that's, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that don't want to be head coaches, and that's okay. You don't have to be a head coach to be impactful. Uh, and and that's why I think I, I like to celebrate Leo McGarry as much as I do. Two quick things, and then three other yeah. quick things. All right. Uh, uh, favorite season of the West Wing. If I got you on here, I got to ask you West Wing questions. Favorite season. I would go two, one, three, four, and then honestly, after four, when Aaron Sorkin stopped writing it, just throw them all in a pile. It was still good. Yeah. But it was not as good, and so I probably <laughs> just throw them all into a pile. I like some characters. I like some scenes from it, <clears throat> but uh, I'd go three, three, one, two, four. Kind of probably like that. Yeah, three, uh, three was my favorite, and and yeah. honestly, I really liked the seventh season just because of yeah, the, the, the the political process and and going all yep. the way through the, the the election the way that they did I, yep. I thought that was I thought that was really innovative that was that was me. I, I, so yeah still still one of the best pilots I think that's ever come out uh, the only you know the only other one I think's better is another Aaron Sorkin in newsroom I think the newsroom <clears throat> if there's anybody that loved West Wing and hasn't seen newsroom you should check out newsroom yeah least favorite character <laughs> on the West wing in the news in the newsroom or in the West, oh, West wing, wing. West Wing. Oh, I have Leo. Huh? Leo's the what? Leo's my favorite. No, le- least that, favorite. Least favorite. Oh, least favorite. Oh, Mandy. Oh, I'm thank so you. Glad that, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm I, like everybody else. I, I just I didn't think that character. I was glad it went away. <clears throat> not a not a huge fan of hers at all. Oh, 
that was that's that was my least favorite as well. So yep. we are on the yep. same page, Coach. All right, <laughs> three more questions here, and and I, I just yep. want I want to say real quick before we get into this, you know, Coach, you got so much out there. Uh, you've got the big presentation on the functionally fast that's on the coach that you put together on the coaches clinic thing. Uh, yep. You know, and and I'll drop that here uh, when we put it on the Twitter. So I know there's folks that okay. probably want to hear about that. But at the same yeah. time, like I said, I want to talk to you about things that folks haven't heard uh, you talk about yeah. a ton. Um, and, He's done a good job of that. He's uh, done a good job of that. Um, and the other one is your your green light shooting, which I think is yeah. awesome. Um, and that's uh, that's something I'll try to find by hook or by crook, try to put that out there as well uh, when we drop uh-huh. this here. So just for the folks that's listening and, and, and they're wondering – uh, first of all, coach has got a little bit of a time constraint, and a lot of that stuff is already out there. So I want to, like I said, I want to talk about stuff that we haven't talked about. So three more things. Um, I think you do a great job. One of the things I really admire about you as I read your stuff and watch you speak is the way that you talk about with connecting your players and, and having your players – you you seem to do a hell of a job of getting your players to, to reach their peak potential. Um what do you think is the the keys with that? You know, um, I, I like the Generation IY. You know, that was a book that you referenced, and yeah. I went through it, and it was yeah. I did that for a book club for a pod, um, that type of thing. But you know, what have you learned? What have you learned about the psychology of the the young athlete that that helps you connect with them so well, and and can help other coaches connect with their players? Well, I, I'm not I'm not taking any credit for any of this. Uh, I, I'm not telling you that I think we do it any better than anybody else we just we, we are very true to who we are and i think as a result of being very vulnerable uh and, I, and my kids know i don't have all the answers i don't ever set myself up to be the answer the all being all-knowing answer person uh, they know that i'm going to help them find it and they know that i'll work right there with them and this kelsey Plum wants to get up at six o'clock in the morning for the first two years of her career I'll get up with her. Uh, now, I spent every day those first two years trying to convince her that the gym was going to be open at 10 <laughs> and the goals were still going to be at 10 feet high at 10 and ultimately got to that point where finally we, we moved to the 10 o'clock workouts. But um, I don't know. I, I, I think a couple of things. I, I was raised by uh, mainly a predominantly strong women in my life, uh, grandmothers, uh, aunts, um, moms, school teachers. I didn't have a father in my life uh, for a long period of time. And so I was really around a lot of really strong women. And I learned to connect that I connected better a lot of times emotionally uh, with with women than I did with, with fellow peers, men. So uh, I knew the, I knew how I felt. And I knew I could connect better. Thus coaching high school girls basketball ultimately into college coaching. Um, so I got lucky in that sense that I was raised by them. I was just better suited and, uh, knew to be vulnerable, knew to be, um, work with each other. Not, I don't want anybody to ever feel like they play for me. Uh, that's, that's something I don't ever want to hear anybody say. I want them to hear they you know, they're part of our, our team, part of our program, but I, I don't want to ever hear, well, I play for him. Um, so with that approach and everything that we do, you know, I, I get input from players. I give them opportunities to be leaders in practice and in games i've you know I've, people have seen the video i hand the clipboard to kelsey and she draws the play up and then pats me on the butt and we go to the huddle and we go out and win a game you know i'll, I'll let players sit down on the bench i, I ask them their opinions so I, I think those things the vulnerability and the the togetherness of of 
really valuing their opinions and then and then going with them. Uh, I don't just get their input and then do what I want to do. <clears throat> I get their input and we roll with it. So I think our kids know that technically. <clears throat> you know, the thing I, I do think we do is we, we tend to focus on bright spots. And uh, I, I say that today because I just got off the phone with a couple of players. They, you know, my one player wanted, hey, coach, give me five things I need to work on. I said, nope, I'm going to give you one thing. And I'm going to give you three things that you're already really good at to get even better at. And the thinking behind that is just that, you know, research has shown that you make your great improve, greatest improvements in areas that you already are your strengths. So we work at a three-to-one ratio. I don't send anybody home with something to improve on without pointing out three things that they're really good at already, and I want them to stay good at. Uh, the research will show you that if you do the reverse – if you say, hey, listen, you're a great three-point shooter, but you can't go left, you can't shoot a pull-up, your free throws suck, blah, you know. Well, what happens is they come back marginally better in those five areas, and now they're not a good three-point shooter anymore because yeah. they've spent all their time trying to please you in these five areas. So, um, you know, you couple that with, you know, incremental gains. I, we try not to make these big uh, sweeping changes. We just make – a lot of small adjustments, and those have an, an, an aggregate effect and incremental gains that you know don't go as noticed. You know, we'll, we'll make we improved on twenty five to thirty little areas of our game one percent. You know, and and that's what makes the difference between finishing you know eleventh in the league and finishing third in the league. It's we didn't change our, our style of play. We didn't do a lot of noticeable things on the surface, but the underlying things behind the behind the scenes, the the before the movie comes on stuff, uh, we've made a lot of changes, and we and we we're very intentional in our language and in the words that we use and, and the people that we have around doing it. So that's a long answer to a short question, but I hope it I hope it answered it. No, that's 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 really really good stuff, and I think you know sometimes we hit you know especially when you talk about the bright spots, and and I, I was probably guilty of it at, at various points where you we know all are. yeah yeah you know and and. Um, you know, you just, you just gotta, you gotta find what's, what's, you know, emphasize the strength and minimize the weakness and, and, you know, tweak the weakness, try to work on the weakness, but yep. really emphasize that strength and make them feel really good about the one or two things that they do at an outstanding right. or elite level. So, yep. um, what, uh, what responsibilities do you give your assistants during practices and, and games? Uh, well, uh, Coach Todd does every bit of our defense. My associate coach, Todd Schaefer, uh, all I do is walk past his office uh, as I'm playing in practice and say, how much time do you need? And I don't I don't point in any direction. He's in charge of the defense. He's our defensive coordinator. And as a result, uh, a lot of times I will leave the gym. I don't want kids looking at me. Uh, I, I will do a press conference during his time with the team if it's consecutive. Uh, I'll run up to the office and knock out a few thank you cards, but I try to eliminate myself from from visible sight when it's his time. Uh, that some days he'll say, oh, "I'll just need ten minutes." Hey, I need forty five. But <coughs> sorry, excuse me. Whatever time he says he needs, I give him. Chantel mm-hmm. um, Osar, you know, was a great player for us at Washington. She's a first year coach. She called every inbounds play for us this year. I didn't call one inbounds play. I trusted her with that, and she called every single one of them. Um, so she's got that time in practice. She also worked with our post players, along with Pauline Love. 
Uh, and when I when I give them their time, it's theirs. I don't I don't get in and teach. I don't get in. I count on them to do it. Um, so I, I would tell you I give them a lot of responsibility, and then I'll let them go to work. Um, we will talk privately in the office, but you're never going to see me, you know, correcting a, 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 one of my assistant coaches on the floor in front of our team. We work all that stuff out, um, you know, before we head to practice floor. So I, I feel like I give them a lot of duties and a lot of responsibility that I, I kind of let them, I kind of get out of their way and let them do it. Okay. Three to five, you're, you're a reader guy. Uh, three to five really good book recommendations. That's a, a near impossibility for me to come up with without. <laughs> okay, how about? I can do movies. I can do movies. I can do book, uh, TV shows. I can do. I can do those because I've got. I've got a filter. I run them through. Like, for okay. instance, with movies. If if one movie's on one channel and one movie's on the other, what do I watch? That's an easy one. Okay. Books are books are so different. But here's what I'll give you. I'll, I'll give you five, three to five areas. Okay. okay. Um, I feel like behaviors and habits are a huge thing that need, coaches need to study. And, and and you need to start with James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. I don't think it's the best book on habits, but it's the one that will wormhole you out to the best other ones as well. He does a tremendous job of gathering other people's data and putting it into one re- readable format, and he's a great presenter. So James Clear, Atomic Habits, you can either read it. He's got YouTube. He's got uh, a blog you can follow. He's got daily uh, YouTube clips. He, he's really, really at the cutting edge of, of habits and behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, I would encourage people to read Spy the Lie, uh, a book that teaches people how to judge body language and micro expressions to learn when people are telling you the truth. I feel like as a coach, it's imperative that you believe as many true things as possible and you can get to the truth as often as possible. So Spy the Lie, a great book to, to reach out and um, take you down some paths. I would encourage people to read Burn Your Goals by Josh Metcalf and Jamie Gilbert. Um, really challenges people who have been goal-oriented their entire life. will show you how challenging that thinking and maybe, maybe considering moving to a standards-based way of thinking will keep you from – uh, topping out and reaching your goals that might have been too low. A really good book will challenge people. And then the last book I would mention is Insanely Simple. Uh, it's by uh, a, an author who, I can't call his name right now, I'm going blank, but he was Bill Gates's right hand. And he got to see the evolution of Bill Gates and how he was so good. I'm sorry, not Bill Gates, Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. Steve Jobs how the evolution of Steve Jobs into making things that are so complicated, so incredibly simple for people. Um, and I think that's for us as coaches trying to make things uh, as uh, easy, as simple as possible is a huge key. And you're going to get a bonus one here. I forgot about this one. It's, it would be my number one. If, if I, I guess if you really forced me to, to pick a book, uh, it would be a book called Speed of Trust. By Stephen Covey, not not the one who wrote Eight Habits, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, but it was his son who wrote this book, and it's called Speed of Trust. And with trust being the most important thing, I feel like for all of us to have, uh, I think that was the best book in that little genre. But the key to reading, the key to reading is read everything. Don't just 
don't just read one book and try to put all of its principles into effect because there's a danger. Uh, great TED Talk out there by um, a young lady who grew up reading only one book, and she tells the story of the danger of only having one story. So read everything you can get your hands on. Uh, it doesn't matter whether you read five minutes a day or 50 minutes a day or five hours. Uh, there's no question that once reading became a, a part of my daily routine, I, 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 my career took off. Uh, I felt better. I was a better dad. I was a better friend. I was a better everything. Uh, after I, I learned to read a little bit and comprehend and put those things into, into action. So, um, there's four or five to start with, but don't let them be the only books you ever read. Absolutely. Coach, real quick, social media, anything you want to plug? Not really. I mean, just I, I will tell you, get on our YouTube channel. Yeah, um, a lot of our, good stuff. Our my my uh, assistant coach Pauline Love and our and Jeff Brazil, my video coordinator, and Matt Wolf uh, in our uh, in our mark not marketing, but in our university wide uh, telecommunications office, they do a tremendous job of cutting those things together. And we we put pump a lot of information for free. It's you know basically an all access to our practices. Um, there's no secrets. We don't try to hoard any, anything from anybody. Uh, get on there. There's a couple hundred videos already. Uh, Pauline works that diligently to, to make sure we've got fresh content and we're trying to figure out a way to do it now, but that'd be the only thing I'd plug. Go to that. We, we do have, you know, Twitters and all those Facegram, TikToks and all those things they have, but, uh, YouTube's probably where, uh, most of our information goes. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Coach Neighbors, thank you so much for your time here. Uh, if you hold on just a second, I just got to wrap things up. Uh, this uh, been Mike Neighbors here from the University of Arkansas. I can't thank him enough for his time. Coach, how did I do? Did I hit a majority of stuff that you haven't talked about for a while? It was great. You absolutely did. Good research. Uh, got to give you kudos for that. Very, th- very good. Thank you. Well, follow us on Twitter, a pen and a napkin. Uh, Coach Majors, fo- uh, Coach, Coach Neighbors follows us there. Uh, download, rate, and review the podcast. Subscribe to us on uh, SoundCloud or iTunes. If you have any questions, comments, ideas, suggestions, email us at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. This has been Mike Neighbors from the University of Arkansas. Can't thank him enough for his time. Coaches, stay safe. And as always, Always be sure to hone your craft one day at a time.